Welcome to Your Partner in Success Radio, a program that values the potential of knowledge, collaboration, and growth. The show is hosted by Denise Griffiths, who is known as an intensely curious nerd in stilettos. Each Wednesday, she is joined by co-host Ben Gay III, a renowned figure in the sales world. Ben is recognized for introducing The Closers, one of the most popular and powerful sales training materials ever produced. Having been mentored by Dr. Napoleon Hill himself, Ben has gained a wealth of knowledge in sales and life. Throughout the show, Denise and Ben delve into the world of sales, entrepreneurship, and success, exploring Ben's vast experience from guiding and mentoring countless professionals to achieve unparalleled success in their careers. Together, they offer unmatched guidance to listeners seeking success in their professional endeavors. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another exciting episode of The Closers Inner Circle Podcast hosted by Denise Griffiths and Ben Gay III on your Partner in Success Radio. Ben joins me each Wednesday where we discuss sales mastery and honestly anything else that crosses our minds as we chat. And we study Ben's famous sales books, The Closers. They're known as the sales Bibles, to be honest. And today, Ben and I are working from The Closers Part 2, page 89, Get stupid, and I love this title. And I have to say, when I first read it, well, I'll tell you what I thought about it when I first read it because that's another I'll wait till Ben comes on. But in the realm of sealing the deal, some of the most successful salespeople embrace a peculiar strategy. I think I just mentioned that they willingly succumb to a bout of apparent foolishness. And according to their own wisdom, there's a method to this madness. And it's a method that frequently yields substantial returns. And here's why. Encouraging your customers to delve deeply into their objections proves to be a powerful method for steering them away, or better yet, converting the objection into an immediate sale. So, and we actually... Last week, we actually discussed the effectiveness of this approach on our podcast, and that podcast is titled, What is Echo Salesmanship? So be sure to download and listen at your convenience wherever you consume your podcasts. And today in the closers, Ben details the importance of starting a conversation when encountering objections, and you're going to encounter them. They're, I think they're just baked in. We're going to always go, oh, no, let me talk to my wife. There's always going to be an objection. But by initiating a dialogue, you create an opportunity for open communication and understanding. Good morning, Ben. It's Wednesday. How are you doing, Denise? Good to hear your voice. You too. I mean, you've been sick for 24 days now, you told me. Yeah, coming right up on uh, Uh the end of uh, three weeks of COVID. And from what I've heard, I had a pretty, as did Gigi, me more than her, but had a pretty severe case. I was talking to a medical friend of mine. He said, were you ever in the hospital? And I said, no. And he said, well, that's where you should have been. And uh, it it was like a bad flu or a really, really bad cold. But what I have now is the lingering tendency to want to cough or my throat gets tired easily or whatever. But we will gut our way through this. And I think I'm at the end of it. Well, I'm glad you feel better. When you told me that, and you actually told me that three weeks ago now on the podcast, Mm -hmm. and I immediately went, oh, geez, I didn't say bad words, but I was thinking, you know, the usual bad words. Oh, geez, oh, geez, oh, geez. (laughs) I'm so glad you're here and you're feeling better. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm not a good patient. I, I'm rarely sick. I don't think I've had a go to bed flu since I was a teenager. And uh, so I, <clears throat> I'm not used to being sick. I don't like being sick. I'm, as Gigi has told me several times, I'm not a good patient. Uh, I'm a little grumpier than your average patient, apparently. But uh, as I said, it's in the if it's not in the review mirror, I can see the edge of it out, out of the rearview mirror. For you. Are you one of those males that always wants, you know, you do, do I feel hot to you? Do I look I, sick? Because if you are, we cannot be friends. No, I'm not. Gigi, however, wanted to be a nurse. One of my favorite pictures of her is about eight or nine years old, I'm guessing, with a white bathrobe on backwards and a, uh, a dinner napkin folded carefully, bobby pinned into her hair. And she's sitting on the edge of a chair waiting for her first victim. She <laughs> truly believed she was a, she was a nurse. And, uh -huh. and I know the signs because my first wife, the late Marsha, uh, was a nurse and was in nursing school when we first got married. So I'm used to being poked and tested. You know, I'd wake up and find a tourniquet around my arm and a needle in her hand. I'm going, no, no, please don't. But Gigi well, sort of the, like that. And I got Gigi. It wasn't for, around your neck. I mean, there is that. <laughs> she probably thought of that, too. But I got Gigi one of those professional digital goes beep beep type thermometer. So I probably have my temperature taken sick or well more than any human on the planet. She likes to use it. She likes to pretend like she's a nurse and uh, so on. So <clears throat> I'm thinking about hiding it, but I want to get through this first. Right now, it might be to my advantage to actually know. Yeah, I think so. I don't even own a thermometer. I was talking with our friend Tammy, and she was trying to figure out a way to take her cat's temperature. And I said, well, <laughs> the, the vet does it. And she said, no, <laughs> yeah. I'm not doing that. But, but I don't own anything. I just never get sick. I mean, I'm and I'm knocking on wood. I'm knocking on the top of my head as I say that. <laughs> but I'm really, I, don't, I guess I have a great immune system, or I'm just too mean to get sick, or both. Yeah. Um, Gigi worked with young people in Special Olympics, and then something about maybe Operation Head Start when she was younger. And she said in that time, she never got sick because she was immune to everything on the planet through those little germ-carrying rugrats that she hung out with. and uh, But we don't have that luxury now. Uh, if somebody's sick and gets around us, they're probably the first person in two weeks that has. And I guess we're more susceptible than we used to be. But <clears throat> this too shall pass. We got through the bad part, you know, when restaurants were closing and businesses were going out of business and so on without any problems at all. In fact, we secretly went to a restaurant that stayed open uh, during that whole time. There was a, a lady who was one of those don't tell me what to do type people. I like and, her. Yeah, and she became probably the most popular restaurant in the area because lots of us shared her belief and wanted to get out of the house. Right. So, so we got through that. No one of, that frequented that restaurant got it. We didn't get it. Everything was fine. So now thinking I'm bulletproof three weeks ago, I got it. And I don't know from where. 
You know, I've laid in bed thinking, okay, we didn't do this. We didn't do that. You got to be exposed for 15 minutes, allegedly. Um, I, I can't figure it out. Uh, I think this is just me personally thinking that COVID for the most part is just a, a nasty case of the flu. And the flu is probably going to walk in the front door when you open it to pick up your newspaper. Right. It's, it's just out there. I don't know anything about it. I just know I've been blessed and very lucky to not get anywhere near it. So, but yeah, well, keep it that way. Yeah, yeah. Being sick There's, is not not good. No, my sister has had it. My brother, who you know passed away after eight years with a double lung transplant, yeah. he had it. it. It was bad. But when you're already compromised, it's very bad. Yeah. But I'm not compromised. I'm tough. <laughs> I'm uh, mildly compromised by age, and uh, but not any illnesses or ailments or whatever. So I'm glad it's fading. Me too. I mean, I I really was just a little bit weepy most of that day, as you know. I would think I I didn't call you. I texted you. It's like I don't want to work. You know, make you work your voice. Just go get some rest. But I wasn't happy that day. Well, let's get. <laughs> We're here to talk about the closers. So right. let's definitely talk about, you know, the, the starting a conversation when you you know that you're going to encounter objections. They're just going to happen. It really is in our DNA, I think. Some of us are just going to go, nope, don't want to do it, just because we're bloody-minded. Others have actual valid reasons. They can't afford it. It's not good enough. All the reasons that you and I have talked about on this podcast, but what I took away from this chapter, Get Stupid, is that if you don't start a dialogue, if you don't, you know, just back up a little bit and kind of act stupid, like, well, I'm not sure I'm under, you know, I don't think I understand, you know, tell me about it. Once you start that dialogue, that conversation, and I've had this happen with me when I'm consulting, you know, for a podcast or I'm consulting for a, a web, somebody who needs a website. And the minute I get out of my own way and I'll just say, well, listen, tell me what it is that's worrying you. What are you seeing that I'm not seeing? They will often realize, and I've seen this time and time again, I've done it to myself time and time again. They will often realize that the objections are nothing more or less than just them being a little bit worried, a little bit concerned, or just being a bit cranky. That happens a lot. But once that conversation starts now you can figure out what the real problem is. You just said something uh, you'll find in a future book. So if I'm going to steal it, I'll be up front with you. Uh, tell me what I'm not seeing. Right. Is a great phrase for opening somebody up. <clears throat> because they want, they want to talk. That compliments them. They're able to see something you haven't been able to see. They've been dying to talk anyway. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So that's uh, that's like fair enough. It's hard to say no to, uh, and it's a conversation opener. So when you read it in the closers part eighty seven, you'll know I stole it from you. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm going to you know, I'll give you a picture of one of my cats, and you can put him up there and give him credit. <laughs> so listen, but you know what? And I wanted to mention this to our audience. 
I have a habit, a long-held habit. I'm a voracious reader, and I'm a lifelong learner. Somebody asked me something the other day. I said, how do you know that? And I think it was about Abraham Lincoln being in the Hall of Fame as a wrestler. I mean, most people don't know that, or if they've read it, they've forgotten it. But I read a lot, and I tend to actually remember some of it once in a while. <laughs> but I have long ago created the habit of simultaneously listening to an audio version of a book that I'm reading, if it's available, because it helps the content sink in more effectively for me. It's double learning. Yeah. And since your book isn't available in audiobook format yet, I'm going to start nagging at you about that. Uh, reminding, I'm going to start reminding you about that. But make the most of having him here on the podcast. And, it, you know, listening to him and reading the book at the same time right now, page 89, Get Stupid, it gives you the opportunity, the opportunity to absorb his valuable insights while enjoying his wisdom on this platform. Well, I appreciate that. I have a problem with that. Years ago, I took the Evelyn Wood speed reading course, and uh, I haven't measured myself in a long time, <clears throat> but I've the last time I did, I read it 3,500 words a minute and with about 85 or 90 percent comprehension, which, which for me is the amazing part <laughs> with my uh, low uh, achievements in school. I'm surprised I comprehend that much. But when I I've tried that on a few occasions with somebody's book, but I can't stop myself from reading quickly. So it's it's like reading uh, subtitles in a in a movie, and they run behind. Gigi's watching something on television now, some series, and uh, <clears throat> the subhead is at least five seconds, usually ten seconds behind the actual dialogue, and that drives me crazy. Uh, with reading, it's the other way around. I've, I'm on page three, and they're still telling me what's halfway through page one. Uh, but um, it's certainly a valid concept, seeing and hearing. Uh, the two of them fall only beneath experiencing. And, it does. Uh, and yeah. I'm like you. I'm a speed reader. I have been all of my life. But I developed or I realized that somewhere along the the way, I developed a habit of, you know, I'll read the first two or three pages very carefully. And then after that, I pretty well have the gist of, do I want to read this? Do I want to finish this? Does it go back to Kindle, you know, Unlimited? Do I just give it away to somebody? But along the many years ago, I figured out that what I was doing is once I really got into the book, I would look at the middle of the page, literally look at the middle of the page I'm not reading left or right. I'm not reading up and down. I'm yeah. in the middle of the page. And the words that need to reach me jump out and reach me. It's like taking a photograph. Yeah. 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 I don't read, you know, sentence by sentence, rarely, <laughs> unless something either in the audio or the book itself got me, I'll mute the audio or I'll, you know, halt it. And then I'll go back and go, hang on. And I'll read it. I might mark it. I might make a note of it. And then I start again. But it works for me. Uh, and anything that gets you to read more is good. Yeah. Uh, people say, I don't have time, et cetera. I beat that system years ago. I have five places that I tend to read, uh, you know, <clears throat> in the car, if someone else is driving or in my briefcase 
when I'm not driving and we're stopped. Uh, I've got a book at hand. I have four or five books at hand there. And then with all the other places, my private bathroom, my bedroom, my two desks, um, the computer desk and the working desk, et cetera, each have a book stack on. And when a new book comes in, which is daily because I'm on a lot of people's review copy, uh, I glance at it like you were just talking about, scan it a little bit. And if it's warranted, it goes into the bottom of one of the reading piles. So when people say, I don't have time to read, or then upon closer question, they say, well, I don't have anything at hand to read. I am never more than an arm's length away from a book I'm working on. And bookmarks, of course, in every book. Uh, so you know right where you were, and a pen to make notes or highlight <clears throat> whichever one is most convenient and most effective for you. So when people say, I don't have time to read, I don't get it. I don't either. I, I could follow them around all day and show them four or five hours they had available. Five minutes here, 15 minutes there, you know, whatever. But there's plenty of time to read, and there's plenty of stuff to read. I was... Uh, uh, on a call yesterday, a uh, uh, podcast with uh, uh, an old friend, a fellow sales trainer, et cetera. And he said, have you ever seen my library? And I said, no, I've never been to your house. And he got up. I, I used to be impressed that I have lots of books. And about every year or so, I give away a few thousand to our local library because, I, you know, the truth, they become trophies. You're, yeah. you're, you're probably not going to read them again. At, le at least the vast majority of them. So uh, I uh, uh, I normally give mine away, but he's one of those secret hoarders who, uh, you know, wants to show people. I'll give you his name, Jeffrey Gittimer. Oh, uh, I know him. Yeah, great guy. Yeah. But he takes me on a tour of his uh, bookshelf, I think is the way he <laughs> framed it or originally picks up the camera and starts walking around his library, personal library is four or five rooms, oh. ceiling to floor. And he estimates he's got uh, 12 or 15,000 books in there, all on self-improvement, selling, et cetera. And he said, you name a book, I can find it in here. And while he was giving the tour, he went past a shelf that had three spines sticking out, bright blue. And I said, hold it. He said, yes, that's the closers. <laughs> <laughs> so at least I've made it onto his bookshelves. But you got to make it easy upon uh, easy on yourself to yeah. do and have them available. And if you are, it's just astounding the length of time. I was raised by a mother and father. My mother kept the Reader's Digest on the back of the toilet cabinet. And when you went to the bathroom, you were expected to tell them, because, you know, each chapter in the Reader's Digest was short. You were expected to tell them what chapter you wrote and what you learned. I, I tried hard to shut the bathroom, open and shut the bathroom door quietly so they didn't hear me go in there so I didn't have to give a book review. I, <laughs> I learned quickly <laughs> the advantages of five minutes here, uh, right. three minutes here. If it's available, you got time. 
You do. And people who will say that, not, you know, some people just don't like to read. They don't enjoy it. Right. You know, I cannot argue with that. But we're reading all the time. We're reading grocery labels. We're reading at the gas pump. We're reading blogs. We're, re we're reading all the time. We're going to get our information however it suits us, is my point. For me, it's reading. You know, I would much rather read than go out and spend time anywhere, practically. I Just worked give, in and around prisons for a little over 11 years, San Quentin for five and Lombok for six. And the thing I finally, somebody showed me the documentation, but the thing I slowly figured out was that there were a couple of common denominators among most prisoners. A, broken homes. Uh, slash no father figure in the house. B, they didn't read at grade level, right. or if at all. And C, about 50% of the people who didn't read well had dyslexia. Oh. So if, if, you, uh, if you enter into this world and can't read or can't read well or the words are jumbled or whatever, uh, you start out in about a 20-foot hole, and you got to figure a way out of that, or you're screwed. That does make sense. And, mm -hmm. you know, I see, you know, people here. I'm in the southwest Louisiana, and, and we have a certain level of poverty. Mm -hmm. But people aren't, I don't know, they don't take it very seriously from what I can tell. Yeah. They're out there, they're working, they're doing, but I will... You know, every once in a while I'll be out and about and somebody will kind of come up to me and say, can you read this for me? Maybe a, maybe a soup label. It can be yeah. just, yeah. and you know, that's Cajun, that's black, that's white. That's, you know, anybody who does not, if they don't have the ability to read at any age, be kind to them, help yeah. them. And the for everyone who asked you to read a label, there were 15 people that day who didn't ask you, but couldn't read the label. Right. That was what, what I just found astounding. That many? Because I, really? you know, yeah, when I arrived at San Quentin, you know, come whizzing in in my big Cadillac and my tailor-made suits and all and walk in. And I assume, except for committing a crime, we're all on pretty much the same level. So here's your reading assignment for the day. And here's your so-and-so. And next week we'll discuss this because you will have read so-and-so. And it took several weeks be before I heard enough hints to understand half the people I was talking I was talking to couldn't read or couldn't read adequately to do what little I asked them to do. One of the kindest gifts I ever received. They we graduated a class every twelve weeks, and others many of the people just stayed and started over. But officially, it was a twelve week cycle. You started and 12 weeks later, you got a pen and a certificate and so on. And frequently they would say or do nice things for me at the end. But one day, Jerry Matthews, who I guess during the 12 weeks had revealed he couldn't read and I partnered him up with somebody. And Jerry Matthews was a built like a fire plug black guy. You wouldn't want to meet him in an alley um, type look. And uh, his face was disfigured because a young man in Chicago, a rat, got into his crib and spent the night eating his nose. I remember you telling me about yeah. So his graduation gift to me at graduation was 
<clears throat> he walked to the front of the room with a book under his arm and it was it was not uh, birth of a nation but it was a book and he looked over at me winked opened up the book and read it to me oh. and uh, his he said that, that of all the things he learned in the class that was the thing that turned his life around because it opened up the world to him everybody else is sitting in their cell reading just right. to kill time and he couldn't that's i'm clutching my my throat that yeah. hurt yeah that really hurt and when you said it opens up the world to you listen i'll be read i'll read anything i will read the back of a cereal box if i'm around one. i don't too. eat cereal i can't stand the stuff but my brother always lived behind this giant box of cereal. And because I couldn't have a conversation with him, I would read it. And then to just take him off, I would read it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> he, would just, he would say, stop talking. I'm not talking. I'm reading. <laughs> off we would go. <laughs> so, siblings, you know, they're difficult to be around. But I, I pick up almost any kind of book. I, I don't read magazines. I think they're obnoxious and most of them smell nasty they put so much perfume in them but i don't mm -hmm. give me a book and i don't care how old the book is i just got one in the mail the other day merry christmas mr baxter by edward streeter and i had started a conversation online because i read this book and you mentioned reader's digest i might have relocated my mom's reader's digest to my house when I moved you know and I, I mm -hmm. did relocate it I hid it whenever I knew she was going to be around <laughs> just in case she remembered it wasn't where she put it you know 100 years ago but I, I was talking about this book because it's such a tradition and it it's evokes so many memories of a time gone by it's just beautifully written it's so nostalgic and it's so smart and I read it October because it starts in October, then it goes to November, the chapters, then, you know, Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And I read a chapter a month and I pace myself. Well, I mentioned this online and several of my friends said, oh, I'm going to go find that book. It's hard to find, by the way. But we all managed and I did buy another copy of it because the Reader's Digest is very heavy and yeah. they're just not fun to read. So we're having a book club starting next week and we're going to start reading October. But hmm. what I'm hearing from everybody says, oh, my God, I didn't live through this era or I remember this era, but oh, the memories. And even if they're not real memories, it just puts you in another place. I have a difficult, I've been blessed in that I've traveled over much of the world or what we used to call the free world. And, uh, you know, I've seen things, experienced things and so on. And I found that as I get older, I have a difficult time distinguishing what I read and what I did. Oh. You know, we'll do, do we'll see something on television. Said, have you been there? Oh, uh, two days ago, over the weekend, it was the White Cliffs of Dover, oh. and it, it was in a movie. But they showed right. the White Cliffs of Dover, <clears throat> and she said, "Have you been there?" I said, "I I could pass a lie detector test that I have, but I've seen them in so many books that I'm not confident." You know, and I've been on so many boats looking at so many seashores. Uh, I'm not confident I've actually been there. And she she said, you don't know if you've seen the white cliffs of Dover or not. 
I said, not not where I would want to swear to you. I, I'm confident I have. But it's that blending of, I've seen them, pictures of them, I've read about them, I know the, the history, pardon me for coughing. <clears throat> I've read the history to the point it's blended together. Jimmy Rucker, my great running buddy, greatest salesman ever lived, uh, and I were talking one day about our wild or semi-wild youth as late teenagers and as we started into business. And we were telling one of, you know, when you get with a, a real good friend, you tell stories about the past and then this happened and that happened. And uh, when we got through telling this particular story, Jimmy looked at me, he said, Ben, did we really do that? And I said, I don't know. I know the story so well. <laughs> <laughs> That I think we did, but I don't know. I know. Uh, you know, I sometimes I'll read something and go, oh, that sounds so familiar. And then I think, like you did, was I there? Or just have I read that? I don't know. Yeah. But reading is so important. And that's why, And you know, these conversations that we have are partly, you know, just our stories, our history, why we do what we do. And then we eventually get down to talking about the book. But I really think these conversations that we have are so important because, I mean, you have you. this huge catalog in your brain of the things that you've done, the people you've helped, the people you've been around, and I'm doing my level best to get it all out of you, so just so you know. Like, Dottie, Dottie Walters, who used to be a big, I think she's passed now, if you're listening, Dottie, I, and haven't passed, I apologize. But uh, she was a big deal in the speaking business and wrote several books and so on. She's always used to talk about her mentors, her personal mentors, like I talk about Earl Nightingale or Dr. Napoleon Hill or Ogmandino, whatever. She talked about her personal mentors, Thomas Jefferson, uh, Bez Benjamin Disraeli, and so on. It took me a few oh. conversations with her to figure out when she you were her mentor if she liked what you said learned from what you said and so on and you lived 400 years ago but she read about it exactly and you and i i tell this to anybody who will listen and i mentioned to mention it to you frequently you are my mentor you have been for years whether you knew it or not and you know talk speaking of books and of course let's go back a little bit to what you said about making you know the books that are important to you they need to be easily accessible and I'm looking at my office and I've got hundreds of books in here. And I'm proud to say that every single book in here, there are no outliers. Every single book in here was gifted to me by my podcast guests and more coming. I've got, I mean, they, they don't land every day, but they land a lot. Mm -hmm. I have a special shelf and it's right. All I have to do is bend over my chair a little bit, reach over and I can grab the closers. I can grab Zig Ziglar. I can grab, there's a couple of other books that are very important to me. One is called Cutting the, the Cord. This is the man who created the cell phone, the father of the, the, the cell phone, not the the ones that we're carrying and not the bag phone that you had to plug into your car and pray that it never rang because you couldn't afford to, to lift that. <laughs> yeah. But you know, one where you could actually walk outside and make a phone call, fascinating people. And I read, I've read every single book in here. And as you say, there are some that, yeah, that was good. I'm not sure what I took, but it's there if I ever need it. But I have two shelves in particular. Yours is on a shelf pretty much all by itself. And then the shelf immediately below that are the other 
important books that I know I'm going to go to again and again. Everything else, they're here. If I need them, I know they're here. But I do segregate them. It's like, <clears throat> how how often am I going to go back to this book? Well, turns out quite often. Second shelf you go. Jim Rohn had quite a nice per personal library. And I said to him one day, have you read them all? Because I had not yet built the type of library he had. And I said, have you read them all? He said, no. Uh, <clears throat> I've at least scanned them and decided if they were savable or not. Right. He said, Ben, when I walk in here in this room, I just feel smarter. Exactly. All the knowledge you need is there exactly. at your fingertips. Honestly, I look around and sometimes, you know, I'll be working on something. I'll be writing code or I'll be cursing at my monitor. It depends. I might do both at the same time. And I'll just sit back or I'll stand up because I need to stand up frequently just to stretch. It's not good to sit as, you know, at a monitor all day long. And my eye, instead of going to the window, which you would think would be the the proper point, you know, the object, I look at the bookcases. Mm -hmm. And I'm hmm, what's in there that I haven't spoken to in a while? Because you are speaking to them. They're speaking to you. Absolutely. And the closers, honestly, <laughs> you're going to have to send me new copies at some point. Mine are so beat up. And I'm not one of those people that I'm going to bend the spine and, you know, bend the pages. That's sacrilege. <laughs> but I've got sticky notes all over them. And I try not to mark the actual book. So I'll mark the sticky notes or index cards. But they're right there. I literally can reach over right now without bending over too far and grab both of those books. But the, the closers part two is on my desk. It pretty well stays on my desk. So let's talk about Get Stupid. And how in the world did you come up with that title? Well, it comes naturally to me. Um, I didn't have to struggle <laughs> to act stupid. <laughs> Mrs. Griffin, my senior year high school teacher, who really taught me most of what I know about writing and is accountable for most of my success as a writer, once told me, she said, to keep your writer, your reader engaged, I want you to write at a sixth grade level. And then she looked up at me and she said, for you, that won't be difficult. Ow. <laughs> <laughs> so I took, I took that as a compliment. Looking back, I don't think it was. <laughs> oh, she was just being sardonic. <laughs> She wasn't being mean. She was being sardonic. <laughs> well, like, we'll give her credit like, for that. The other thing she taught me, which I thought was great, I was writing a paper or something, <clears throat> and she gave me the assignment, and uh, I started writing. She says, no, no, no. How many pages do you think this is going to be? I said, well, you said 20 pages. She said, all right, count back 20 pages. So I did. She said, now write the last sentence of the book or the paper or the study, whatever it was write the last sentence. And I said, I haven't written the first sentence. She said, no, I want you to establish a North Star, what you're <laughs> driving toward. And that's also true in sales and sales scripting and so on. You may seem to be wandering at times, but in your mind, you should have the target in mind where you intend to wind up. And that can be in writing or selling or, or anything else. With uh, getting stupid or get stupid, <clears throat> it literally came to me because I'm rather sardonic, but also no, because I that's, the, that. <laughs> that's the, the act I put on when I want to get people to talk to me. 
uh, tell me more. I, that's interesting. I, I I don't really understand that. Well, they hear themselves talking. They love talking about themselves. They're flattered you've asked for their opinion, and they will tell you in bits and pieces what it is they will need to hear to buy. And, but it uh, also gives them the opportunity to to fix in their own minds yep. what it is that they need to know. They may not know. You know, a sales process can be quick. It can be fast. It can be brutal. And, you know, they've already got their objections up and running. It's like, just he's going to give me a chance. I'm going to tell him no. But they haven't. This is just my opinion or observation. They haven't really had the time to sit down and say, well, what is it that I want from this? Is right. this something that I need? What are my objections? And this will give them an opportunity when they hit upon those things that they like and that they uh, about your product or service. This gives them an opportunity to talk about it and think about it. If I say it, they might doubt it. If they say it, it's the absolute truth. So if they say this will solve this problem for me, it's done. It'll solve that problem for them. If I say it, maybe it will, maybe it won't. So the perception is terribly important. But the get stupid thing, oversimplified, it's not unlike the chapter we did uh, uh, last week, Echo Salespersonship or Salesmanship, whatever the right. title is, uh, in that I repeat back what I just heard and look at, look at them quizzically. Yeah, by put a question mark in my voice at the end of the statement that they had just made and uh, get stupid is is very similar to that <clears throat> explain to me what you mean by that i don't fully understand what you said help me understand uh, bring me up to speed it's the same thing you would say it's amazing to me that people can stand on their back deck at a barbecue and give a wonderful sales presentation, hit all the marks with a friend while talking about politics, religion, sports, whatever. And then when you say, okay, now let's practice selling. Oh, I don't know how to sell. Oh, boy. You do know how to sell. It's carrying on a conversation that has a starting point and a logical end to it. And the way I get there frequently is asking them lots of questions. But you have to, because you mm -hmm. don't really understand what it is that they know. Yeah, you know, when I'm talking, when I'm consulting with somebody and they say, well, you know, what do you want in your website? And they'll give me a whole list, none of which they wind up ultimately needing. Right. You don't know what you don't know. So ask those questions and shut up and listen and ask more questions and shut up and listen. It's not that difficult. Wade Cannon, who was one of my early mentors, uh, said to me one day we were at a cocktail party or a fundraiser or something, and uh, he said, uh, "Tell me." Uh, oh, he said, "Let me let me give you a little tip." Just came to my mind, and he was 15 years older and had a you know a degree and whatever, and and I was a high school graduate, and uh, so he was he was being gentle and kind, but he said, "Let me give you a little tip. It'll be handy for you as you go along." And he said, when you're talking to a Nobel Peace Prize winner or a Pulitzer Prize winner or whatever about, you know, some subject, uh, you might want to find out what they know about it. They might be, uh, when you're talking to a person, he didn't qualify at all that way, 
uh, about so-and-so, you might want to find out if they're a Pulitzer Prize winner or, or whatever in that subject. And I said, well, thank you, Wade. I'm thinking to myself, why is he telling me this? But I said, thank you, Wade. Uh, I'll take that into account. And he said, it's too late. <laughs> I had just spent 30 minutes, <laughs> apparently, pontificating about my thoughts on fill in the blank to mm -hmm. a person who'd won either the Nobel or Pulitzer Prize on that subject. You don't Ouch. know what they know unless you ask them a question and listen. That's just it. And, you know, as salespeople, and we all are salespeople, I don't care what you say, we're selling something. If you're on your knees trying to get somebody to have coffee with you, I don't know what, you know, I've never understood that whole thing. But, you know, you're selling something, whether you're trying to get a date, whether you're trying to put out a resume, whether you're trying to sell a service or a widget, you're selling something. When you're looking in the mirror going, I've got this, I can do this, you're selling something to yourself. It's just how we operate in the world. Right. The thing is, we don't know what we don't know. And oftentimes you'll just assume that, oh, I've got this real, I'm the best web developer in the world. And I do tell myself that <laughs> it's not true, but it's fun to say. And I'll assume that everybody else knows that. Well, of course they don't. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you, I've, I've struggled with this myself. I, I can hear it loud and clear when other people do it. I have to remind myself to do it myself is to remember that you don't know what they've been through. Yeah. We, have a, we have an honorary son. We consider him our son. Because uh, we've helped raise him. He's been around us since in the third grade, I think it was. And now he's 33. In fact, he rents one of our houses and uh, is the roommate of one of our sons. His father committed suicide two months ago yesterday. Oh, no. And, and uh, out of the blue, left a note, that type that crushes you. It said, he said, I've made many mistakes in my life. This isn't one of them. And in a park, blew his head off. So anyway, I don't say that to depress you, but about a month later, we happened to be somewhere and maybe the suicide word came up because, uh, you know, because of the event. I don't know, but I heard the word suicide. And another person who was new to the group, as in maybe just walked up, said, let me tell you what I think about suicide. People who commit suicide are weak. And, you know, if they had some gonads and so on, it never would have happened and went on on all his views about suicide. Well, I've been so depression in my life, and I could tell you he knew nothing about depression or suicide or anything, nothing. But because he wasn't really listening to the conversation and didn't ask any questions. Or watching faces. He probably didn't right. realize that people were just looking at him like he was a worm. Yeah, exactly not realize he's talking to a young man whose father did it 30 days before. And I thought, what a great lesson in, as uh, much as it hurt Andrew's feelings, what a great lesson in you never know what somebody else is going through or what they know or how they feel. This nowadays would be, except for close friends who already know your political feelings, whatever they may be, this might not be a great time to bring politics into selling. Right. <clears throat> As we're 
our southern border has problems. Israel has problems. Everybody's got problems. Yeah. So this may not be the time to say, do you know what I think about? (laughs) You're not going to change anything. All you can do is offend somebody. And if we're still talking about selling, all you can do is lose a sale. Well, and what what was Edward's response to all this? Did he happen to stand up and say, "You don't know what the hell you're ta- you're talking no, about"? Shut up. No, no, I, I got I said something like that, oh, but I put it on myself. I said I've been through depression. I forty years ago I had a gun in my mouth one day, and only something Ogmandino had taught me or told me prevented me from pulling the trigger, and. Uh, so on. So I, I did my little thing with me. I never mentioned uh, Andrew's father. And, oh, I'm sorry, uh, Andrew, not Edward. That's all sorry. Right. <laughs> I never mentioned his father or uh, anything to do with that. But the real lesson was he just assumed he knew everything about everybody there. And that he was perfectly, he could feel free to uh, expound on his beliefs. And on this particular subject, he knew nothing, <laughs> nothing. In addition to, he didn't know he was talking to uh, a survivor of the experience. So listen carefully, question carefully. The questioning is one of, is half the key. The other is listening. I've mentioned this before, but Nelson Mandela was a great speaker and a strong guy in 20 years in a cell or whatever it was and so on used to be admired for many reasons but the people who knew him well said his greatest strength was that he was a dynamic listener he just he didn't miss anything one of the things i've found to be true in reading books somewhere in every book i've ever read about some great person or popular person or successful person you'll find a sentence in there that's similar to this somebody else talking about him. When I was with him or her, I felt as if I were the most important person in the world. That invariably comes up in some form or fashion. Some person that I was listening to not too many years ago was talking about being with Bill Clinton. Whether you like Clinton or not isn't the issue. The issue was his ability to focus in on one person at a time. And they said, he, the whole time I was in the Oval Office, he never broke eye contact with me. And and he said, somebody brought in some iced tea and big Southern tumblers. And I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get a break here. And he said, I picked up my glass as he picked up his and glanced through the bottom of the glass over where he was sitting. And he said, through the bottom of his glass, through the bottom of my glass, he was looking me dead in the eyes. <laughs> See, that's unsettling. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. <clears throat> you got to listen. Ask questions is great, but listen uh, to learn. Don't listen to respond. And read a room. And the room can be you and one other person. Mm-hmm. But you have to and listen. People talk a lot about micro expressions. I work completely, you know, in the audible world. You don't see pictures of me. I don't show up on, you know, camera ever. But I'm telling you, I can hear a micro expression. Mm -hmm. If you're listening carefully, you know when you just made a boo-boo or you 
kind of just went a little off center and you better recover from it. Listen to yourself, listen to them and shut up. That's, I keep saying that a lot. Just stop talking. So what's the most effective way to listen? I've had people ask me and I said, well, the first thing you do, it's just a starter point. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> See, I was trying to be polite. <laughs> yeah, we, we can add to that as we go along. But for <laughs> openers, shut up. J. Douglas Edwards, in the book I wrote with him for him, A Sales Closing Power, used to say it was one of his most famous lines, and he would yell it. He said, when you ask a closing question, shut up. You right. shut up. <laughs> Screaming. Get out of your yeah. own way. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's true. It's also true in a conversation. I, we, Gigi and I have a new rule. It's my rule, but she's been nice enough to go along with it. We won't go to dinner party in a restaurant, is what I'm talking about. At somebody's home, you have no control over it, nor do I care. But where you're all sitting at a table and people are talking, you know, to the person across from the person at the end of the table and all, my new rule is I will not have dinner with a group larger than six, preferably four, because no one is listening to anybody. They're waiting for their, at eight, it, it starts. They, they're they waiting for their moment to jump in and they don't know to jump into what because they weren't listening to the person before them or they've gone from talking to the person directly across the table from them to somebody at the far end of the table. So we had one of those things. We're good friends. Pick any two of them. Uh, we would have had a lovely evening. But at the end of the evening, I came out and said, Gigi, we have to talk. And she said, I know. And I said, what do you know? And she says, no more big crowds in restaurants. I said, you got it. We'll draw the line. We'll try and dry it, draw it at four to start. But any more than six, I'm not coming. I don't blame you. And I'm uncomfortable around large crowds anyway. As an introvert, I find it very draining to be around people who I may or may not have a great deal of interest in. Now, if they're fascinating people and the conversation is scintillating, I can hang. But if it's not, as my friend Maggie has warned people, you know, people who know me but have not really spent that much time around me, she'll say, listen, I'm going to tell you right now. Denise is only good for about 59 and three quarter minutes, unless you're really interesting. So if you see her with her keys in your hand, she's probably not going to say goodbye. All you're going to see is ass and elbows as she exits the building. <laughs> <laughs> and I looked at her. I said, where did you come up with that? She said, watching you all these years. <laughs> ass and elbows? Really? Since <laughs> this is how the story comes out, let's tell them up front. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, you know, she's like, look, she's not going to be rude. She's just going to leave. And I do. So so since they're warned, you know, nobody gets really upset. But I'm I'm like you, big crowds, more than three people to me is almost two people. But, you know, we all deal with what we can deal with. Listen, we are just about out of time. Is there anything from Get Stupid that you want me to read out loud? Because I know your voice is struggling a bit. Uh, no, it, it's fine. If you if they have the book, it starts on page 89. It's mm -hmm. called Get Stupid. And uh, you might also read Echo Salesmanship, yeah. it sort, which we did last week, which they, it sort of ties in. If you don't have your copies of the closers, that sounds like a cheap commercial, but it saves me a lot of time and trouble 
if you have that same hymnal that I'm preaching out of, go to stores, S-T-O-R-E-S dot eBay dot com forward slash Ronzoni books. It's all one word, R-O-N-Z-O-N-E. B-O-O-K-S. They feature the Closers uh, series and they offer special pricing, cheaper than you can get it at my website, and free shipping, which we don't offer. So you can get it at Amazon, get them at Amazon or whatever, but the best place is stores.ebay.com forward slash Ronzoni books. And I still sign them, uh, date them, and uh, we still offer our 100% lifetime, no questions asked, money-back guarantee. So that would be my suggestion for the day. And before we get away, because I'm so excited about it, tell them how they can get in touch with you in general and specifically your new uh, push in the website department. Oh, Thank you. Um, and well, before and don't forget to tell people what your email address is and your phone number. But I have been a web developer for oh, geez, I hate to even admit this since 2001, I believe it was. I build websites in my sleep, literally, and I used to build them HTML. I used to write the code. Well, then here comes WordPress, and all of a sudden I went, "There is a God." And he made WordPress for me. <laughs> so I love building websites. And, you know, when you build a business and it's been up and running this long, there are some things you will no longer do. Virtual assistance is one of them. I've been working a lot with social media marketing, and I still do that, but I'm very fussy these days about who I will work with. Websites, I'll build them all day. I'll build them while I'm, you know, standing over the stove, built stove building a gumbo. But Right now, and I think we might have mentioned this last week, we're at the end of 2023. This is the last quarter to make a splash and to get ready for 2024. So if you need a WordPress website, give me a call. I have three slots open. I'm very careful about how many clients I'll take at a time because you get my undivided attention. I cannot be running all over the place and just say, oh, you know, I've got five of these in the works three. That's all I've got room for this year. And I'm easy to find. You can go to your office on the web.com. You can go to denisegriffiths.com. You can find me toll free 888-719-6711. Oh, I'm lying. I don't have three. I just sold one yesterday. I can't believe I forgot that. It's not on the books yet. The payment hasn't arrived. So. <laughs> so two, maybe three, but I'm easy to find. You can't throw a stick on the internet without finding me. So let me know. And I listen, I consult with you. I give you homework. I don't just say, yeah, we can do that. And I hand you something in a month's time. And you're like, ah, but I had no say in it. You have every say. And I do give homework. I kid you not. So yeah, get in touch with us. And Ben, you and I love to answer questions about our respective industries, sales. With me, it's web development and marketing. And, you know, we like to answer questions. So if people have questions for us, and we will we'll take them on, on board, and we'll read them out on the podcast, and we'll answer them. So get in touch with us. Super. And I wholeheartedly endorse everything Denise does, as does she has the seal of approval of the National Association of Professional Salespeople. 
We stand behind her like she stands behind her own work. Really good. And you asked my email. It's B as in Ben, F as in Frank, G as in Gay, the number three, BFG3 at directcon.net. That's short for direct connect. D I R E C T C O N dot net. And my phone number, if you're lonely, is 530-409-0080. I will never forget calling you. I have frequently what I call God winks. And that's when there's some kind of download, you know, gets into my brain, into my soul, and I, I have to stop what I'm doing. I cannot walk away from it. And I had a God wink a couple years ago now. I don't even remember said, call Ben Gay. I went, okay. <laughs> and off I went to my phone and I called you. And once I, you realized who I was, I heard, do that. And I still <laughs> completely. I was like, oh, he does remember me. Oh, good. <laughs> so, <laughs> if but if that, you were a male friend, I probably would have said, what the hell do you want? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I am now Denise Dudat Griffiths. <laughs> so... <laughs> There we go. Ben, thank you so much for being with me every Wednesday. And you really are my mentor. And it's honest to goodness, the highlight of my week. So we've already shared where people can find your books and your contact information. So now, and you know what the question is, what should we cover next week? Well, figuring you might ask that uh, on page 59, that's five, nine, there's about a... uh, almost four-page chapter, I try and keep it easy for everybody, called The Real Objection is You. And uh, that's really crucial. It's it's not harsh, but it's reality that some of us don't want to hear because frequently when they don't buy, it wasn't the product, it wasn't the price, it wasn't the timing. They don't like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other uh, part of that is and we'll cover again next week, is most sales are made, lost, or heavenly, heavily influenced in the first 10 to 15 seconds. It's really crucial. You can overcome a bad opening, but why would you? And why would you make it twice as difficult to close the sale? Well, I think people have a pretty good instinct if they're going to, you know, look, how do you say it? Know you, like you, trust you, and feel safe with you or comfortable yeah, with people you? People buy from people they know, like, trust, and with whom they feel safe. Right. And, they, you know, people are pretty good. We Most of us, for them, I think, have pretty good spidey sense yep. when we're paying attention. Yeah, a lot of people have it and don't really know what it is and don't trust it. Uh, but uh, I've probably walked away from some things maybe I shouldn't have, but I just didn't feel right about it. And usually something happens to prove I was right. Right. Uh, uh, And of course, with experience with somebody, you can really have good spidey sense, but I'm talking about somebody I just met casually. I pretty much know rather quickly whether this has a future or not. And that makes sense. If it feels hinky, walk away. Well, yep. listen, everybody, I encourage you to adopt the valuable insights from Ben Gay III that he joins me here to share 
on the weekly Closers Inner Circle podcast, and you'll be able to watch your business flourish in competitive markets. Get those books. Don't make them part of your entrepreneurial library. Mine are stacked very close to me. They're on their, they're not stacked, you know, where I have to look at the spine. They're stacked in a stack. So I, I can't miss them. I know exactly where they are. So don't forget to inquire about Ben. Oh, don't forget to inquire about Ben's mentoring program. And this was an idea he was born from his, it was born from his mentorship with, excuse me, now my voice is going with Dr. Napoleon Hill and it is now a reality and he's already given you his contact information. So get in touch with Ben. And if you're looking for the best mentor in the world, and he's going to owe me $5 for saying that, (laughs) Get in touch with Ben Gay the third. Thank you, everybody. And we will see you next week. Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Thank you, Dudette. There you go. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.